European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 41, Issue 16, Focus Issue, Hypertension, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Unanswered questions in hypertension, prematurity and long-term trajectories, masked and white coat hypertension. The importance of hypertension as a cardiovascular risk factor has been recognised decades ago in the Framington and other cohorts, and the benefit of blood pressure lowering proven by Edward Fryce in his seminal trial published in 1977. However, while numerous antihypertensive drugs and procedures have been developed, the causes of hypertension are still not fully understood. However, it has been suggested that early events in life may be important. Pregnancy complication, preterm birth, as well as assisted reproductive technologies have all been associated with elevated blood pressure and cardiovascular risk in early life an issue that Casey Crump and colleagues from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, United States, analysed further using a population-based study of 4,193,069 singleton live births in their article Risk of Hypertension into Adulthood in Persons Born Prematurely, a National Cohort Study. In 86.8 million person years of follow-up, 62,424 or 1.5% persons were identified with hypertension with a median age of 30 years at diagnosis. Adjusted hazard ratios for new onset hypertension at ages 18 to 29 years associated with preterm below 37 weeks and extremely preterm i.e. 22 to 27 weeks birth were 1.28 and 2.45 respectively and at ages 30 to 43 years were 1.25 and 1.68 respectively versus full-term births in both males and females. Thus, preterm birth appears to be associated with increased risk of hypertension into early adulthood. Persons born prematurely may need early preventative evaluation and long-term monitoring for the development of hypertension, as further outlined in an editorial by Malta Kelm from the University Hospital Dusseldorf in Germany. Another question is how long blood pressure changes of long-term affect complications such as arrhythmias and major cardiovascular events. In their article, Long-Term Blood Pressure Trajectories and Incident Atrial Fibrillation in Women and Men, the Tromso Study, Ekaterina Sharashova and colleagues from the University of Tromso, Norway, explored sex-specific association between long-term individual blood pressure patterns and risk of incident atrial fibrillation in 8,376 women and 7,670 men. Elevated systolic blood pressure independently and differentially increased risk of atrial fibrillation in women and men. In women, elevated systolic blood pressure trajectories doubled atrial fibrillation risk, compared to persistently low levels with hazard ratios of 1.88 and 2.32. In men, those with elevated systolic blood pressure that continued to increase over time had a 50% increased atrial fibrillation risk of 1.51. Compared to those who are persistently normotensive, women developing hypertension and women and men with hypertension had hazard ratios of 1.40, 2.75 and 1.36 respectively. Thus, long-term blood pressure and hypertension trajectories were associated with increased incidence of atrial fibrillation in both women and men, but the associations were stronger in women. 
These findings were put into context in an editorial by Dipen Shah from the Hôpital Cantonal in Geneva, Switzerland. Blood pressure is usually measured in the sitting position at surgery or at home. However, blood pressure changes throughout the day, and hence 24-hour measurements, reveal that individuals may have masked uncontrolled hypertension or much, i.e. normal blood pressure at clinic, but hypertension on 24-hour monitoring elevated blood pressure, or indeed the reverse, i.e. white coat uncontrolled hypertension or WUCH, whereby blood pressure is elevated at surgery, but not during 24-hour monitoring. Whether these categories are really reproducible and hence clinically useful is addressed in the article Limited Reproducibility of Much and Wurch, Evidence from the ELSA Study by Giuseppe Mancia and colleagues from the University of Monza in Italy. Office and 24-hour blood pressure was measured at baseline in every year, allowing repeated classification of either condition. After one year of treatment, the patients were classified as 21% and 18% masked or white coat hypertensive respectively. For both conditions, the overall prevalence during follow-up was relatively stable, but with large changes in patient composition of each group. Only one-third classified as masked or white coat hypertensives at one point maintained their classification subsequently. Only 5% and 6% of patients have persistent masked or white coat hypertension classifications. Thus, both masked and white coat hypertension display poor reproducibility. This should be taken into account when assessing their long-term prognostic value, as further discussed in an editorial by Severa Erik Kuldersson from the Oslo University Hospital in Ullevål in Norway. An important complication of hypertension is stroke. However, only a minority of hypertensives develop such an event during their lifetime, suggesting that other factors also play a role. Indeed, age is an established risk factor for stroke. As such, genes regulating ageing and longevity have been implicated as well. In their basic science manuscript, endothelial CERT6 blunt stroke size and neurological deficit by preserving blood-brain barrier integrity, a translational study. Giovanni, Camici and colleagues from the University of Zurich in Switzerland hypothesised that endothelial-specific expression of the recently described longevity gene, CERT6, may exhibit protective properties in stroke. Indeed, CERT6 endothelial expression was reduced following stroke. Endothelial-specific CERT6 knockout mice displayed increased infarct volumes, mortality and neurological deficit after transient middle cerebral artery occlusion. Conversely, post-ischemic CERT6 overexpression decreased stroke size and neurological deficit. As regards the molecular mechanism, increased blood-brain barrier damage and endothelial expression of cleaved caspase 3 appeared to be involved. Similarly, in primary human brain microvascular endothelial cells, hypoxia and reoxygenation reduced CERT6 expression, and CERT6 silencing impaired the barrier function. Importantly, in stroke patients, CERT6 expression was higher in those with short-term neurological improvement, as assessed by the NIHSS scale and correlated with stroke outcome. Thus, endothelial CERT6 exerts a protective role in ischemic stroke by blunting ischemia and reperfusion-mediated blood-brain barrier damage, and thus may represent a novel therapeutic target for future clinical investigations. Blood pressure is controlled by numerous reflex control mechanisms in the kidney and the carotid arteries. These sites have been used to develop interventional tools aiming at interrupting these pathways either by radio frequency or ultrasound energy. In a current opinion manuscript entitled 
Proceedings from the Third European Clinical Consensus Conference for Clinical Trials in Device-Based Hypertension Therapies. Felix Mafoud and colleagues from the University Hospital Saarland in Homburg, Germany, remind us that clinical trials assessing novel technologies for device-based hypertension treatment are currently ongoing, including endovascular catheter-based renal denervation, baroreceptor activation therapy, endovascular baroreflex amplification, and cardiac pacemaker-mediated hypertension treatment. The disappointing results of the Simplicity HTN3 raised vivid discussions as to the trial's design and execution. Later on, three carefully designed randomized sham-controlled renal denervation trials, i.e. spiral hypertension off-med, spiral hypertension on-med, and radiance hypertension solo, reported clinically meaningful ambulatory and office blood pressure reductions up to six months with no serious adverse effects in patients both on and off medications. With rigorous trial oversights and methods, these studies provided consistent and robust proof for blood pressure lowering efficacy of renal denervation. The third European Clinical Consensus Conference for Device-Based Therapies for Hypertension identified key issues for consensus recommendations for the design and conduct of new clinically more relevant pragmatic trials. The issue is also complemented by five discussion forum contributions all related. Bedtime hypertension treatment improves cardiovascular risk reduction, the Hygieia chronotherapy trial, by Ramon Hamida and colleagues from the University of Vigo in Vigo, Spain, which was recently published online. Accompanying these contributions is an expression of concern discussing the ongoing investigation involving the ESC Journals and Ethics Committee and the independent statistical investigation currently being planned. In a first discussion forum entitled Chronopharmacological Effects of Hypertensive Drugs, Selkuk Sen and colleagues from the Istanbul Universitese, Istanbul Tip Facultese in Istanbul, Turkey, discuss it. In Is Bedtime Treatment Appropriate for All Hypertensive Patients? Carmen Sanchez and colleagues from the Clinica Rementeria in Madrid, Spain also discuss the manuscript, as do Olga Mediano and colleagues from the Hospital Universitario de Guadalajara in Spain in a contribution entitled The Role of Sleep Disorders Breathing Treatment as a Modifiable Condition for Cardiovascular Risk-Associated Hypertension. Finally, Christian Torp Pedersen and colleagues from the Aalborg University and Aalborg University Hospital in Denmark submit their comment. Blood pressure, hazard ratio and prediction. As do Greg Guthrie and colleagues from the University of Dundee School of Medicine in their contribution, Chronotherapy and Hypertension, the devil is in the detail. The author Hamida has responded to each contribution in a separate piece. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.